Broadcasting from our office in Buffalo, New York, this is the Arrive Podcast, the comprehensive guide to U.S. immigration law designed especially for our Canadian neighbors. I'm Jeremy Richards, your host, along with my co-host and business partner, Christine Jerusik. We bring decades of immigration law experience helping Canadians to live and work in the United States. We're here to simplify the complexities of the U.S. immigration process, answer your questions, and provide insights that only experienced professionals can provide. In each episode, Christine and I will delve into legal concepts, share personal narratives, and bring you insightful conversations, all designed to educate, enlighten, and empower you as you navigate the U.S. immigration law landscape. Whether you're preparing to move to the United States for work, studies, love, or if you're just intrigued by U.S. immigration law, the Arrive podcast is your resource for making the journey clearer, simpler, and more approachable. So we invite you to come on this journey with us. Listen to the Arrive podcast, follow us on your favorite podcast platforms, and subscribe to the latest episodes as they are released. And if you find what we share helpful, don't keep it to yourself. Feel free to share it with others who might also benefit from the content. Our mission is to assist our friends from the North in successfully navigating their way to live and work in the United States. So sit back, tune in, and get ready to arrive. This is the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. So as promised during our our last uh, episode, today we will be discussing in more detail the E-2 investor visa for Canadians um, and the top 10 FAQs uh, for the E-2 investor visa. Um, so, and if you haven't already, this is a plug for you to subscribe. I uh, recommend this podcast to your friends or anyone else out there that you think would find the content that we discuss here on the podcast helpful. Um, and give us a thumbs up so that other people out there looking for similar content can find us. And also, if, if you need more information, you can, you can always... Give us a call, shoot us an email, visit our website where we also have a, a lot of resources and a blog that you can subscribe to where you get regular updates on U.S. immigration law. So on to today's topic. What is, and the first thing we're going to cover is in general, what is, what is an E-2 investor visa? So the E-2 investor visa is a non-immigrant visa, which is which is important, and we've discussed what immigrant and non-immigrant is in the past. Uh, but it's a non-immigrant visa that allows nationals from countries that have defined treaties with the United States, which includes Canada, to enter the United States to, to work uh, based on a substantial investment they've made in a U.S. business. And... With that E-2 investor visa, it allows you to do certain things. You can operate and develop your business that you have invested in. It allows you to live in the United States for the duration of that visa. And you can travel in and out of the United States that entire time. You're not stuck in the U.S. It has unlimited travel back and forth. Um, And under that visa, you can also bring qualifying family members to live with you in the United States. And a spouse can actually work and obtains work authorization. And by family, it means children under the age of 21. Uh, One of the downsides to the e-visa is that it does not provide a direct path to permanent residency, but it can be renewed indefinitely. So you can keep renewing the the e-visa as long as that business stays active in the United States and that you show that you continue to meet the criteria for the E-2 visa and and maintain your intent uh, to return to Canada uh, at the time that the the visa would expire, or you just maintain your your ties to Canada throughout that. So that's the E-visa in general. Um, Now, who is eligible? Who qualifies for the E-2 visa? So there are certain criteria that must be met in order to qualify for the E-2 visa. One of the, the main criteria is your nationality. And the United States has a list of countries that qualify E-2 visa status. On that list, Canadian citizens and qualify. By, and by nationality for this, we mean your citizenship. So it doesn't necessarily refer to your country of birth. So you could be born in India, but a citizen of Canada, and get an E-2 um, 
or, or for well, I think there is. is. Does India have an E2 treaty? I, I couldn't answer that question. I'd well, I know because I looked at it yesterday actually, that Vietnam does not. So, I for don't example, think India does actually. You could be born in Vietnam and become a citizen of Canada. That's why and then Indian nationals prefer the L1 because yeah. they can use that where the E2, they cannot. Yeah, so there's a bunch of countries that are not on that list. So you need to check and see if your citizenship is on there. But if you're a Canadian citizen, you're on there and you are able to apply for an E2. And this is one of the huge, uh, another advantage of being Canadian. You have the USMCA, the TN visa. You also have the E2 visa uh, under a different treaty. So big advantage to Canadians. And one of the other basic criteria is that uh, when you make this investment, it must be substantial and at risk in the U.S. in the U.S. business when you make that. Um, and you have to intend to come to the United States solely to operate and develop that business in the United States. You can't be working at other companies or doing anything else for another employer or whatever it might be. Your intent must be to come to. Uh, manage and operate and direct your investment here in the United States. And those are the major qualifications. And we're going to go a little bit into a little bit more detail. And as promised, we're going to cover the top top 10 FAQs for the E2 visa as we continue our discussion. So major qualifications for the E2 visa. Um, nationality requirement. And we covered that. You must be a national of a qualifying treaty country. Here we are talking about Canadians. There's 132 countries on that list. So India is not on there. I just checked. Yeah, it's not. Um, And this is the same as the USMCA or TN. You have to be a citizen. So permanent residents don't qualify. So nationality is important. Citizenship, not permanent resident status. So if you are a Canadian permanent resident or in Canada on a work visa or student visa or whatever it might be, and you don't have citizenship, you don't qualify for the Unless you're a citizen of of another qualifying country. Correct. So if you're from Australia, they, you could process for an, and you're in Canada on a work visa and you want an E2 or you're in Canada as a permanent resident, you could process as an E2 in Canada even though you're from Australia. You wouldn't necessarily need to go back to Australia to do that. So this answer is a little bit more nuanced, right? Yeah. Nationality. Because yeah. it, the company has to also possess the nationality, which right. means that the company has to be primarily owned, and we're talking about Canada here, by Canadians. So the ownership structure of this company has to also have the nationality of the E2 visa investor. So if you are Canadian and you are investing in the United States, the company must also possess possess that nationality. So if you're a 100% owner, it's pretty simple. Yeah, you, you're Canadian, Canadian so it's going to be Canadian company because it's 100% owned by you as a Canadian now. But if you have a U.S. business partner. They cannot have a majority or else it'll be primarily the nationality of a U.S. citizen. Right. And that doesn't qualify. Also, U.S. permanent resident. We get that question all the time. Mm. What if my business partner is a U.S. permanent resident? Well, oh. as long as they have a minority ownership then and you are the right. majority and the company remains Canadian, then you're fine. Mm-hmm. The second that swings to the nationality of another country outside of Canada, an, on a non-qualifying uh, country, then you're not going to qualify anymore. Yeah, and I think we talked about this last time for companies that have, um, you know, shareholders and maybe you have hundreds of investors in your company that all have a stake. Um, it it really is true. Like you need to check out the passports of every yep. single owner and provide that information in order Stock for them ledger. to determine that the majority of the company is owned by Canadians. Yep. So we get that question a lot where people are like, what do you mean I have to ask for the passport of all the shareholders? Uh, yeah, if Correct. you want to register this company as an E2 company, then that information is going to be required. Yeah, so nationality is a little bit m- more complicated than it may- might seem. You have to really look into the company structure to answer that question as to whether or not it will qualify for the nationality requirement for the E2 visa. So nationality of the investors as well as nationality of the company itself. Both have to be from that treaty country. So in this case, Canada. So you need to be very careful if you have citizens of multiple different countries in an investment because that's going to determine what that nationality is. Yeah, and we've seen it where, you know, Canadians maybe have made 
million dollar investments in businesses here in the United States, and they want to come in and manage that investment, and they don't have a controlling stake in the business, um, and bec- and they're only one of m- multiple investors, multiple shareholders. It, they can't register it as an E two company, so we have to think of other options, and sometimes there isn't a good one. Yeah. You know, so be careful Maybe before the owl you invest. Will work in that situation, but yeah, yeah. You, the the E will not. I mean, you definitely the owl doesn't have that same requirement, right? Yeah. So right. the L, you can have mixed ownership. The L, True. as long as the ownership is shared, it's it's a it's a looser requirement. Mm-hmm. As long as the Canadian entity and the U.S. entity have primarily the same ownership structure, they don't care what your citizenship is in that right. case. Right. Then that would qualify. So in some cases, the L visa might be an alternative. But you have to look at the details of the yeah. ownership and things like that. Um, the other is the investment requirement for the E two visa, and there are two factors that they that they throw in when they talk about uh, investment, um, and that is whether or not the the investment is what they call substantial, as well as at risk. So when they're talking about substantial, Christine, what is what does it mean by a substantial investment? This this often throws people off. They're like, well, "What do you mean substantial? What is what is that? What do, what do they mean when they say substantial?" Well, there's no actual number, so people always want to know what is how much do I have to invest in order for it to qualify as a substantial investment? And there really is no bright line test for this. Um, it you have to. Well, they look have at a the test. Business. What's the test well, called? The proportionality, proportionality test, right? Yeah, but there's no. There's no number we can Correct. give is what I'm saying. Like, so I'm sure you've done E2s for less than $100,000. Yep. We like to say $100,000. It's easier to get approval. The higher um, the investment amount, the easier the approval, bottom line. Right. But if you're investing $100,000 in a $5 million business, hmm. that, yeah, right. What's the proportionality exactly. of that, right? That's not, that's, that's not a significant share of that company. Correct. So... And the examples we often give here, and these are the ones that are given in the FAM that we refer to all the time during during our podcast or the Foreign Affairs Manual, um, is that it must be proportional to to the investment. Whatever you're you're investing in that company must be proportional. So let's say you are buying a ten million dollar manufacturing facility, and you're investing a million dollars in that facility. Well, that is a significant amount of an investment. A million dollars is going to be, that's going to be significant almost every time you're investing in something, as long as the ownership also follows suit with that, right? Let's say this is a, um, it must be Canadian owned, right? So if you're a million of 10 million invest, of a $10 million investment, then that's going to be considered substantial. That's a substantial amount of money. Um, and sometimes and we've had this, uh, clients purchase a shopping mall, you know, $6 million shopping mall and their overall investment in that is the down payment to purchase this and the rest of it's through loan, but they put a million dollar down. Well, that's substantial. That's, that would be considered, uh, sufficient for the E2 visa purposes. Now let's say it's a smaller investment. Let's say you're buying a hair salon or maybe a franchise and the investment amount is a hundred thousand dollars well the proportionality of your investment must be much more significant right so then you want to be purchasing a hundred percent of the business if you have 50 percent in that that may not be considered substantial maybe can considered what's called marginal too um so you got it you have to be careful right it depends on the size and the value of the business you're buying into the smaller the business purchase price, the smaller the investment amount, the larger percentage of that investment must be from you. The larger the purchase price, the more significant the purchase price, the smaller amount can come from you to secure that investment. So it all depends on this, how much is being invested and what would guarantee the success of this company. And, and the other factor they look at in investment is whether it's at risk. This is a huge one. Huge. Mm, absolutely. Huge. People, people. Well, I think it's huge because people want to apply for an E2 without their money being at risk. So we get calls all the time from people that say, oh, I invested in a U.S. business, um, $200,000. And I said, okay, well, where's the money? Well, it's sitting in a bank account for the business. So it's not at risk. I'm, I'm ready to spend it. it. I'm ready to spend it. Well, you have to spend it before you, and people re- 
you know, sometimes get, you know, a little taken aback by that. Well, how do I know I'm going to get the visa? Well, you don't. That's the problem. So you have to actually spend the money and it has to be at risk in order for you to qualify to apply. And at risk by definition means it must be subject to potential loss. Right. If, the, if you were not, if this money that you're saying you've invested in this company isn't subject to potential loss because the business fails, mm-hmm. then it's not at risk. Right. It, so that's the most common one account, you gave though. Bank account. That's yeah. what the, hey, I've identified a business I want, but I haven't bought it yet, but the money's in a U.S. bank account. And that's not investment. Or I bought a U.S. business and I paid a very small amount for it. I paid 10000 Or I started my yeah. own. It's usually I started my own U.S. business. And it only took me $5,000 to get all the registrations and everything. And, and But I have $200,000 sitting in a bank account for operating expenses. Doesn't count. Okay, that doesn't count. So you can leave money in the bank account for operating expenses. And it's important to have that if you're running a business. But that money is not going to count towards your investment. So Correct. you need to purchase things for your business. And it can be hard depending on the business type, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have consultants that they're like, literally all I need is a laptop or and a car to yeah, do my job. IT profession. Yeah. Right? We, and we've done successful e-visas for these professionals, yeah. but it's it, you you have to spend money. Mm-hmm. So that means maybe you have to buy a building. Maybe you have to furnish your office, pay for marketing Design expenses. Design a website. Webs- yeah. Like all of these business-related expenses to guarantee the success of that business that can be... Tied to business expenses, right? We we get people ask, well, what about my food? What about my flights? What about oh, you know, those, all of those? Those yeah. things don't count. It has to be <laughs> legitimate towards the starting operation, successful operations of this business. Right. So legitimate business expenses. But again, money that you anticipate spending, and I think that's the best way to put it. If you anticipate it or you've put it aside, that doesn't count. It has to have gone out of your account. If it's Think still it sitting in way. your if, account, yeah, it doesn't If the count. business fails, that money will be gone. So yeah. you spent it on a lease. You spent it on uh, equipment. You spent it on um, a car. You know, that's, that's sunk costs. You're, you're not going to get that money back if, you, if your business fails. But if it's in a bank account, you could withdraw it. So yeah, you just transfer it back to Canada if yeah, you want Yeah, sometimes it, right? we have people prepay their rent. You know, you can prepay for up to a year and that counts. And that's a, that's a good strategy to increase your investment amount. Mm -hmm. There are things you can do that we could advise of, okay, how can I increase this investment amount for these types of businesses? But that's very important. It must be at risk, must be at risk. So key thing to remember. Also, there's some business requirements for the E2 visa. It must be an active investment and, and not, a passive investment. And this is another one that we run into a lot with investors. Um, passive investments like real estate or stock don't qualify in general for for the E2 visa. So what does it mean by passive? Well, you just you, you put an investment somewhere and it's just going to uh, increase in value over time. Yeah, right? You bought land and you're estate. sitting on it and then you're going to flip it later. Or you buy a house and yeah. you do basic rentals and you're going to flip it. Well, that, that doesn't That's qualify. Not, yeah. Um, you got to think of it this way. You, is your business going to require you to hire people? Because you need Correct. to hire some people. So if you bought, you have a portfolio of, of residential properties and you have 10 of them and you're renting them out, you may need a, a property manager and that's a property management company that could qualify for an E2 and we've done those before. Um, but having one or two residential properties that you're listing on Airbnb, yeah, that's not going to work. And that goes into the other requirement for the business requirement is, and that's the viability of the business. It shouldn't be what they call marginal. Um, so when they when they're talking about marginal, the investment shouldn't just be for you and your family to make a living. You must actually be creating jobs for U.S. workers and providing income and a living for U.S. workers in the company. And this is present and future capacity. So. They're going to look, typically for the E2, they're going to look at five the next five years. So if you don't have an employee today, that's fine. But you know, must be able to show that over the next five years, you are going to employ U.S. workers at and this company. Yeah, and the reason they look at five years is because Canadians can get a visa for, for five years that's on, as huge. an E2. So they want to see the what longest your projections one you can get. are. Yep, they Outs- want- outside of a visitor visa, right? <laughs> yeah, true. Outside of permanent residence, too. So five years is a pretty long time. They want to see your projections for the business for that whole period. 
Yep. So in the the general rule we use here for the number of employees is no less than three full-time equivalents working at your company. If you have fewer than that, we've seen the consulate refuse or deny visas requests for companies that are smaller than that. So you need to be careful. You need this, the company that you're purchasing, the investment that you're making must employ U.S. workers either now or in the future. And if you're buying an existing business, that can be easy, really easy, right? Yeah. They already have people on payroll. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. That's and you can show they have people on payroll. Right. Maybe they don't have a lot on payroll, but you're going to show that you're going to hire some more. this you're business gonna, and right. that's going to you know necessitate future employees. Well, that mm-hmm. works too. But those are both key requirements. Those, the money must be at risk. You can't just have it in a bank account. And you have to employ other people. You have to be creating jobs for U.S. workers. It can't be just this passive investment. I want to backtrack here for just a second because there's one thing we didn't talk about that I I find sometimes causes hiccups with these types of cases, which is the proof of the source of the investment. So the source of the investment, it kind of goes without saying, needs to be a legitimate source, right? You can't have this money um, from illegal sources or from, you know, unreported sources even, so you have to be careful where the money's coming from. And we do ask for evidence of that. So if it's from your paper employment, trail. yeah, there has to be a paper trail. And I see people get tripped up with this all the time. Maybe they got a gift from a family member a couple of years ago and it was never documented. Maybe they never reported on their tax return and they want to use that towards their investment or their family members giving them a gift now, but they don't want to pay taxes on it. So they're not going to report it. This all needs to be done correctly with the proper documentation showing where the money came from with transfers I recently had an E2 um, that said that they got the money from a gift um, and the gift came after they made the investment. So I'm not sure uh-huh. how that worked in, in the timeline. It all needs to make sense. So um, just be careful with the source. You know, we see we do see a lot of gifts and it's a legitimate way to get money to put into an E2 business. Um, but it must but make be sure an actual correctly. gift. Too. Yes. Yep. So and it has to be well documented, like you said. You Anything you do with U.S. immigration, must be documented. You must have a paper trail, legitimate business-related documents. And we run into that a lot. Individuals want to save costs or whatever it is in this process. So they don't hire a business attorney. They create documents on their own. Or they don't have an accountant. Uh, They don't use professionals in these fields to assist with proper documentation or, or their taxes were improperly prepared and didn't report the money that they're now using as their investment. They're, think of it this way. If it was a taxable event, it's probably going to be able to be used as an E2 investment. Yeah. Make sure you have that paper trail. You can document where you got the money and where the money went. Right. If you can't do that in a proper, ta- checks, in a proper timeline yes, with that your business with purchase. Investment. <laughs> I made the investment in 2020, but the transfer happened today. Yeah. Huh? That doesn't work. No. And they will fact check it all. Right. The consulate is very thorough and they will want proof of everything that you've done. Yep. And if it's insufficient, they will make a request for additional information. Yep. And, and I've had this happen it. a couple of times. People pay the business that they're buying for the business. You can't do that. You need to pay the owner of the business you're for the business yourself. you're buying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're you paying can't yourself. Invest in yourself. You're buying the business and then that money is then yours. So um, and this is where hiring a business attorney right. is very important and we advise that on a regular basis if you ask us a, a tax question we're going to tell you to go talk work to with your an accountant. accountant yeah if you're going to if you need a business plan we're going to tell you to talk to a business plan professional if if you need business formation you, well you better have a business attorney we're immigration attorneys we can advise on everything immigration yeah but this outside kind of, of stuff, that yeah that's not we don't draft those documents no and us as attorneys when we need assistance with something from a professional level, guess what? We have an accountant. Yeah. We don't do our taxes. Right. Yeah. When when we're buying a building or leasing a building, we hire a business attorney who's going to advise us on that lease or on that purchase agreement. Right. That's and the same thing we advise for our clients. Use legal, business Legal Zoom is not a business no. attorney. No, it's not. Not at all. <laughs> Be careful. Yes. And we do that with business formation too. People form, they'll go online and, and then they want to use these formation documents and they don't have a stock ledger. They don't have stock certificates. No, they, don't have anything. they don't have anything that can prove the ownership. And then they get frustrated with us because and then requesting they come back and documents say, well, that they don't have. I don't have this. Well, because you didn't do it properly. Yes. You didn't use a business attorney 
to, to help with the formation or the purchase or whatever it might be. Uh, so, so be careful with that. As long as it's done above board, then you're fine, right? People try to cut corners, don't want to show cash, you know, do things um, and try to hide things. That doesn't work for immigration purposes. No. They, Everything must be They know be documented. all the angles, don't, right? <laughs> yep. All right. So now we're going to go into the top 10 FAQs. Uh, we just covered the basics of the E2, and we've probably talked about that before. Um, so it's probably redundant for some of you that have listened in the past. Rerun. But, yeah, rerun. <laughs> but it's good information, especially if you're one of those that's anticipating investing or have already invested in the U.S. and want to get an E2 visa. That's good information for you. Uh, so let's jump right into these top 10 FAQs. So number one, this is like Jeopardy or something, right? How long does the E2 visa last? Five years. So so can I stay in the U.S. for five years? Absolutely. And I don't have to leave. I can stay here for the full five years. Absolutely. If you want. But don't I have to go back after two to get a new I-94? Oh, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> That's a trick, trick question. question. What are you doing? So, so you get, so what happens is you will get a visa and this is one of the only times a Canadian gets a visa. And we've talked about this Canadians yeah. are visa exempt, but you actually get a visa stamp or foil is what they call it in your passport. And it looks a lot much like a passport, your, your passport biographic page. And it's valid for five years. What will also happen is your business will become what's called an e-visa registered business. And it'll be registered for a five year time period. Now, Christine just called me out. So when you get stamped at the border, they will only stamp you for two years per admission. And then you have to return after two years. You have to verify. They will ver do some basic verification that you're still operating this business. It's still running. Then they're going to give you another two years. Then at the end of that two-year time period, you return again. Yeah. And then they'll give and you it, your final year. It's pretty year. rare that we have Canadian citizen clients that spend the full two years in the United States. I mean, I think they that go comes back up forth. once in a while. Most Canadians are traveling at least a back lot. to Canada, yeah, if not other to other countries. So, But if you want to, you can. You can, yeah. It's not prevent, prevented, and you just need to go back after two years to get stamped for another two years, mm -hmm. go back after that to get stamped for your final year. There's no reapplication process. It's just verifying that the business is, is viable, that you're still operating that business, and the border will give you an, your, your other time, remaining time. Then at the end of that five years, you have to re-register and go through the, the process consulate. all over again. Yeah. And then you would get another five-year registration and another five-year uh, visa and another five-year time period. So how often can you do that? How many times can you get a renewal? It's unlimited. Unlimited. As long as you can show, and this goes back, as long as you can show that you're this is non-immigrant, the purpose of you having this visa is to manage and run your business. You're maintaining your ties to Canada. You could have an E2 indefinitely. Until you die. And actually, I think this is overlooked for a lot of Canadians. They all say, oh, I want permanent residence. I want permanent residence. Well, if you're a business professional and you have business in Canada and you maybe you like Canada and you want to maintain your ties to Canada and you want to have, you know, the U.S. as well and spend time in the U.S., you can do that until you die on an E-2 visa. It's completely possible. And there's a lot of individuals who don't have a path to U.S. permanent residence or citizenship. And the E-2 is their best available option. And in fact, it's a very good option for a lot of people uh, that will allow you to live and work and yep. stay in the United States till you die. Yeah, I counseled um, our new clients yesterday who um, wanted to make an investment in the U.S., but unfortunately they were not members of um, an E-2 treaty country. Um, but it uh, had a sibling here that wanted to sponsor them. That process, because it takes like 15, 14, 15 years to get um, your green card through that process, a, an E2 would have been a great option for yeah. them because they could have stayed in the country with managing their investment for 15 while years they while they're the waiting for the green card. Up. Yep. Um, unfortunately, I've done they, several like that. And it, I have too, but this family didn't have the right <laughs> yeah. uh, citizenship to be able to do it, unfortunately. But you know, it's a great plan if you have a sibling maybe in the United States that's willing to sponsor you and you don't want to wait 14 years to get there. Well, um, you can work while you wait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a great option for that. Uh, okay, so what about my family? Can they come with me if I'm on any two? You're talking about your cousin. <laughs> Can't bring your auntie. Your uncle. Your uncle, <laughs> your grandma. So, yes, you, your immediate relatives can come with you. Your spouse, 
your um, dependent children, not your parents, though. Yeah, so here it's only your spouse, and we emphasize spouse. Uh, Canadian common law does not count as spouse. You have to have a marriage certificate. Marriage, Mm -hmm. okay. So if you're if you've been living with somebody for twenty something years and you have four children together, you're not married. If common law, maybe in Canada. In the U.S., that doesn't qualify yeah, for immigration. Yeah, the U.S. does not recognize that. Canada does in their immigration system recognize it, but we do so not. If you have a girlfriend, yet. a fiancé, a significant other, and you are not legally married and you want to come together, get married. That's your option. And children are only children until 21. And once mm-hmm. they hit 21, they're on their own. There's nothing you can do about it. So They're considered adults. Yes. And you have to let them go. Cut the cord. <laughs> So, yes, they can come. And the great thing is, is if it's a spouse, they get automatic work authorization. Yeah. The investor has to work at the investment enterprise and they have to be managing and directing that company. But the spouse can work wherever they want with this author. It's a blanket work authorization. It's one of the only times you can get blanket work authorization. They could work anywhere, literally anywhere they want in the United States with that blanket authorization. So sometimes we strategize with that. Maybe it's a husband, wife investing they determine, okay, now which one of us is going to manage the company and which one of us is going to use that work authorization. And here's why. And this is a little nuanced approach. Why? Because maybe one of them is, let's say, an IT professional. And they don't have a direct path to U.S. citizenship or U.S. permanent residency. So one of them will direct and manage the business while the other one is gainfully employed and then that employer will then sponsor that spouse for a green card. And then that's that's an indirect path to permanent residency through this process. Yeah, we have several cases like that yeah. right now. So they use the E2 as leverage to get that authorization to work in the U.S. And then that spouse that's working is then sponsored through employment. And then because the other spouse is a dependent, they will automatically get a green card through that relationship as well. So that's an... That's an indirect path to... Um, but it's a good strategy. It's a very good strategy if it's available. So that's a game that some... I won't say game, but a strategy that people mm. will employ. All right, number three. How long does the application process typically take? Depends on the consulate. Well, we're talking about the U- We're talking about Canada and Montreal. So or not right, Montreal. Right Oops, now? Toronto. Toronto, yeah. Toronto's the only consulate in Canada that does these Where did initial registrations. From? Yeah. It's only Toronto, good. so disregard. <laughs> so it depends on the timeline at the consulate, but we're seeing right now, what would, what would you say, between three and four months? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Around three months. It's uh, Some of them a little shorter. But yeah, I would say on average about three months. And that does not, and this is important, that does not uh, take into account preparation. That's after submission to the consulate. They've accepted it. Then it takes about three months to get your interview at that point. That's after you've already assembled all the paperwork. Yeah, you've already prepared the application. three months to get us the paperwork. Yes. Even longer sometimes. Correct. So don't think you're going to retain and then you're going to have a visa appointment in three months. No. Unless you have everything in a nice little box with a bow and it's perfect. Uh, it's going to take a few weeks to put together an approvable application, get a business plan, maybe get the business documents you need. It's going to take a little bit of time. Now, there are people that buy an existing franchise or business, and then it can be quicker because why? Well, those businesses already have everything in order. So it's a matter of providing all of the documents. But nonetheless, right. I think there those is are prep the cleanest time. cases. So if you Existing if you want to do a straightforward E2, and I tell people this all the time, and you want a best chance of approval, find a business broker in the US, purchase an existing business that's got operating history. Yeah. Make sure you hire a business attorney to represent you in the transaction. It's an arm's length transaction. Very you're clean. not buying a business from a family member where you're making your own documents. And that type of that type of application almost never fails if it's done correctly. Yep. Those ones are the most straightforward, yep. cleanest. Agree. All right. And we covered this question, but we're gonna hit it again because it's on the list. Do I have to live in the United States? No. No, you do not. No. And there's a lot of investors who they have it simply because they don't want the hassle at the border. Because sometimes a border will give you a hassle if you're coming and you say you're coming in for business, even if it's just for a business meeting or to check up on your investment in the United States. Sometimes you'll get flagged and they'll say, hey, you need a visa for that. So uh, investors will get that for ease of travel. 
you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times too, because they don't, just don't want to be hassled at the border. But by no means, there's no physical presence requirement in the United States. You don't have to be for, here for a certain period of time. You just have to have that investment and be directing and managing it. Yep. Uh, and we have e-clients that live and spend most of their time in Canada and they just come in and check on their business once in a while. They've got somebody else managing it yep. here, but they need to come in and check once in a while. So they need that e that ease of travel with yep. the E2. And then we have other clients who are here 90% of the time because they're actually running the business and they have or other employees. Or 100% of the or time. 100. I think I have clients that haven't haven't left and you know they just go back when they have to vacation new, or whatever it is. They're a new stamp and they yep. come back in. Yep. So, yeah, there isn't. And the only thing to remember there is physical presence in the U.S. can indicate your intent. So you, you do need to pay attention to that. Um, because again, you're, you have to maintain your ties to your home country as well, no matter mm-hmm. how much time you're spending there or here. So it's something they can look into. All right. Next number five, can I work for another company on an E2 visa? And here we're talking about the investor. We're not talking about the spouse. We've already clarified that the spouse can work wherever they want once they get that blanket work authorization. But what about the investor? Where can that investor work? They can work for the E2 company or any company owned by the E2 company. So if you're, if you're trying to create a group of um, companies, then you would just need to make sure that the E2 registered uh, corporation is the one that's at the top of the org chart. Top it, of the food chain. It's the parent that owns yep. the other ones. And then you would be able to work for all the sub companies. And that's an excellent point. We get that asked. We, I, I get, we get asked that. Oh, yeah. On a regular basis. Um, Maybe there will be multiple investments. Well, our suggestion, have a holding company. Have have a parent company somewhere at the top that owns everything underneath. Mm -hmm. And then that is the one that becomes the EVISA registered company. Then you can work at any of the underlying entities. And maybe you only have one investment at at right now. And I just had a case like this. where well the advice and but you want to add to your portfolio later Mm -hmm. of additional companies well make sure you do that if you do it properly and you register a holding company or a parent company that owns everything even your future investments then that will qualify under the same e2 visa right and then you won't have to get you won't have an issue you can only have one e2 visa yes you You can't can't, have multiple from multiple companies not like a tn yeah and we've actually we had somebody come from another law firm where they messed it up and they oh, really? they registered an E2, but then they formed another investment under another uh, entity in the U.S., oh. and, and they wanted to work at that one. Uh, you can't. Right. You're not authorized to work Unless there. you want to register that one now. So you have to backtrack, and now, now you have to do a holding company or a parent company yeah. or something that's going to own both of those underlying entities. Then you yeah, can I work at either one. I had a client call me, and they had done that on their own, yeah. purchased an, another business in another city, and just... Uh, incorporated a separate company but they fixed it they got it you can under fix the, it um, but they got uh, it under the um, e2 registered company and now they're all good so be careful you're limited to that e2 mm-hmm. visa company only all right number six how is substantial investment defined and we covered this right substantial they apply that proportionality test right uh, t- so it all depends on what type of business you're investing in. If it's, again, if it's a hair salon, your investment could be much smaller, but your investment should be about 100% of that. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's a huge manufacturing company, then your the investment's going to be more substantial and it can be a smaller percentage uh, because of the size of right. the investment. And I think we also need to talk about the sufficiency, right? So we've we've got the issue of somebody starting a new business or purchasing a business and the E2 officer can take a look at what they've invested in and see whether that business really is ready to operate. So, for example, if you are um, a warehousing business or a storage uh, company and you haven't got any storage units, that E2 investment may not fly. If you are, you know, or you don't have a warehouse yet, they might say, okay, well, you, you're running a warehousing business here and you don't have a warehouse. Yeah. So you've got to make sure that you have all of the equipment, uh, premises, vehicles that you need to run the type of business you're planning to run. The officer can question it if you don't have those. Yeah, you have to be able to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. If you don't, they could refuse the visa. 
And then the other is it must be at risk, right? When we covered that. Right, yeah. We talked you can't just that. put money in a bank account. Yeah. So that's what it means to be substantial. Um, so the, the size of the investment, is it at risk? And is it sufficient to support the, the successful operations of that business? All right, number six. What type of businesses qualify? Get this all the time. All the time. What type qualify? Any type of business can qualify. Yeah, there's no there's no restriction on that. No. I mean, a legal, it has to be a legal business. So <laughs> okay, not any type. It can't be illicit. So if you're <laughs> drug running operation, yeah. that's not going to work. No. Right? And we've had some other questionable ones, too, that <laughs> the consulate did not like, too. Uh, those cash-based businesses, mm, probably not going to work, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't there's know. There's a lot mean. of different cash based businesses out there. Don't use that I for an E2 visa. I have plenty of E2 clients with cash based convenience stores. That's cash based. That goes through a register and is <laughs> goes through taxes. I'm talking about, let's say, Breaking table. Bad, oh. right? Cash based <laughs> business, and you're, and you're washing that cash. So, yeah. oh, money laundering, I, I hear. <laughs> there's a lot of illicit operations out there. Those don't right. Qualify. So, if it's an illegal business, probably not going to be able to be registered. What if it's legal? All sectors, all industries of business qualify. We've done consulting companies. We've done uh, franchises. We've done restaurants, restaurants. You name it. There, it trailer parks. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, actually, one of our employees worked on a, an e-visa for somebody who owns a, a campground, and that was the yep. investment. And they people... To go we to have the campground, another one right? right now, another campground. Yeah. So. It's really unlimited. And we've done it for business professionals, mm-hmm. people in real estate. I've done them for lawyers that open up a law practice right. in the U.S. Or, or dentists or chiropractors. We've, we've seen a very broad spectrum of businesses that qualify for e Trucking companies. Trucking, <laughs> trucking <laughs> yeah. companies, yes. Finance a lot of firms, those. yeah. You just got to make sure that... And this is another point that we don't really mention. Um, you know, look into the things that are required to run your business. So the insurances and the registrations and... And that's not on us. Yeah, by that's another reason you need to have a, a business lawyer that's familiar with your type of business because they'll tell you what you need. And it may be very different from what you had back in Canada. And from state to state in the United States. And you may need certain things to qualify for those insurances or registrations. And you want to make sure that your E2 visa is not denied because you don't have something that you need to run the business, liquor license or whatever yep. it is to run the business. Yep. All of, again, it has to be a going concern in order to qualify. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have these things in place, you're not going to get the visa. All right, next. Can the business be a startup company? Absolutely. Yes. And again, if it's a startup, it could be more difficult. You're gonna have, you better have a good business plan. But every all those pieces need to be in place. You have to have made that investment. You have to show projections of how many employees you're going to be hiring. Yeah. Same as an existing business. Existing business is much easier. Yeah. It has employees on payroll. The same expectations for either and, and startup. And we do a purchasing. lot of these for recent graduates that come out of business school or come out of a, a STEM program, and they have an idea and they want to start their business in the United States. They think it's a great market to get the you know hit the ground running with their idea. Yeah. Um, and we sometimes talk to them before they haven't even you know th- it's not even a solid idea yet, and then we take them right through to the end of the process where they're living and working in the U.S. and and really running their dream business, which is, I think, a very rewarding part of what we do. We just did one for an IT consulting company. Yeah. So sometimes you'll have professionals who've been in the industry for a long time, and now they have a skill set that they want to market, and they want to do it on their own. Yeah. We just did one like that. Now this individual has an e-visa registered company that does IT consulting. Mm -hmm. Works. Uh, So definitely can definitely feasible. Yeah, I have a couple interesting ones on my plate right now, too. New businesses starting up, so. All right. Number nine. Can I change my status if I'm already in the United States to another visa? You can, but then you can't travel. From an, To another visa type. Oh, to another. I thought you were saying from 
visitor or whatever you're here on to E2. No. If, let's say you're on an E and you want to change to another visa type. Can you do that? That's not what your question says here. Proceeds for changing from another visa type to oh, E2. To E2. <laughs> so can you change your status from whatever it is to an E2 while you're in the U.S.? You can, but then you can't travel on that E2. So Correct. It, yeah, it's yeah. very frustrating. And sometimes people call this a conditional E2 I don't like this E2. I think well, it's awful it for Canadians. It was great during COVID when we had a bunch of Canadians here that, ne that didn't started travel businesses COVID, and didn't yeah. want to travel. They were like, we're not even leaving the U.S. So we could. Or but why is it a bad it's idea? It's good for people from other countries that are not Canada. Yeah, a lot of individuals from other countries do it because they don't want to go through the hassle of returning, going through the consulate, getting another visa stamp. Yeah, but it's not good because you it's literally go through the full E2 process with USCIS here in the United States. And then when you're approved, you can't travel on that approval. And it's only two years. And Canadians, everybody's required to go back. Yeah, it's only two years. You have to go to the, if you want to travel outside the country at all and return an E2 status, you would need to have an appointment at the consulate and go through the full E2 process at the consulate. Again. Again. So why not just do it one time with the consulate yep. and get it done, and then that way you can travel on that. I mean, during so COVID this, it made sense, but yeah, otherwise, so this, no. Yeah, and this typically applies to individuals that enter as a visitor. They mm -hmm. come down as a business visitor. They buy the business, and now they want to change from visitor to e-visa holder. You yeah. can do that, and we've done it. But again, we don't advise it, especially for Canadians, because most Canadians, and I'm going to speak for <laughs> a lot of Canadians out there, yeah. they like to travel. Sticking in the United States is not in their DNA. Right. They have to be able to travel, if not to Canada, to other places and for a vacation. literally every time I've done this for people, um, we've had to go through a full consular application after anyway. Yeah. And there's no benefit to having an approval with USCIS before zero. going to the consulate. The yes, consulate's going to re-adjudicate everything. Correct. So, I mean, it, well, there's one benefit. You know that it passed the test at USCIS. It but doesn't it, mean it will at the exactly, consulate. It doesn't and people mean. get frustrated with that. Oh, I just got approved at, at USCIS. Why are you asking for all of this? Well, because the, e, the E2 process at the consulate is a little bit different. Yeah. So, um, I don't see a benefit to it. I'm the only benefit I could see is if you needed to stay in the United States to manage that business and you couldn't leave, yeah. right, to go to the consulate and then or for some other reason. Later. And, and then we get people do that. And that's, we do that too. That is yeah. one of the have. benefits to it is let's say you come in as a visitor and you can't wait three months. Yes. Well, people will come in as a visitor. They'll change to E2 then they'll immediately do an application with the consulate at the same time. And, but that allows them to stay the and manage in yeah. the U.S. while they're waiting for the appointment in, at the consulate. Yeah, in those cases, it makes sense. Yeah. And some people and they don't mind have to do that. Double right? the legal fees yep. and fi extra filing fees and all of that. And that's and what it takes, it. right? It's, a, it's more costly. Yeah. But, and sometimes people want to get that visa and they want to get it now. Mm -hmm. Well... USCIS by mail, changing your status in the U.S. is the only way to do it that fast. Yes. All right. Number 10 and final question. What <laughs> happens if my business <laughs> fails? Well, so does your E2. Correct. So once the business is no longer operating, you're no longer in valid E2 status. And not just failing, right? If you sell that business. Yeah. Then, or, or the ownership somebody, changs yeah. to, a, to a point that you're no longer substantial. To a of mine. He was here on he was here on an E two and um, the ownership changed. They sold the company got sold to an Australian company, and now the, all the owners were Australian. And so you just disqualified yourself. Disqualified for E two. And had again, actually, he had this, to leave the, the ownership country. of the company and the employee has to be the same nationality. Yeah, he was really high up. He had to leave the country for a year and work a, for a year outside oh, at one of their L? foreign affiliates and to get an L to come back yeah. in. So we just did that recently too. But they, you know, you, I think the thing to keep in mind is that consider immigration as part of your, um, you know, M&A due diligence. Yes. There may be people at the company that are working on visas that need to be considered in that process. Um, and it's always good to do it early in the process and not a year after the, not a year after the acquisition. Yeah. I love it when I get individuals on the phone and they're, they say, this is what I plan on. I'm like, amazing. You're doing it ahead of time. <laughs> yes. Not after. Oh, versus, oh, we did this. Now we need to be. Well, <laughs> hopefully this qualifies. Sold, the company was sold a year ago or five years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what? Or even longer. I've yeah, had, yeah. we just, we actually just got an approval for 
an individual Canadian with, for his e visa, and he had started his investments over ten years ago in the U.S. Wow. You know how long that case took? It took several months. Why? Because we had a, he had to go through and dig up all these old business yeah. records from a decade ago. Well, if he had a business attorney, they would have had them on hand for him. Oh, this was not as organized as it should have been. <laughs> hey, but we worked with him. Yeah. And he was able to get his E2 visa. He was thrilled to get it. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of work, though. I bet. So the older the investment, the more due diligence is going to have to be done to dig up the proper documentation to support that application. So, But True. if your business fails, unfortunately your e-visa becomes void. Or if you sell your business or there's a substantial change in the business that would no longer qualify you for that E2 visa, then your E2 visa becomes a void. It's no longer valid at that point. And you should depart the country as soon as possible if something like that happens, tie up business and, and depart the country. Uh, and there are other implications if you're working unauthorized or overstaying, we're, we're not going to discuss that today, but there are significant immigration consequences if you're not... Um, maintaining your visa status in the United States and you do things you're unauthorized to do or you stay longer than you should in the United States, you could get bars on entry yeah, to I US. had a client during COVID that was running a kind of a convenience gas store and um, they came to us after the fact. We didn't do their initial E2 registration. Actually, they, were, they just went through USAS and never left the country. But um, their business was kind of failing during COVID and they had to renew their E2. And they said, what do we do? Or the businesses like we don't have, we're not selling gas, you know, cause nobody's driving and um, we don't have a lot of inventory cause nobody's coming to the store to buy anything. I said, you better gear that business back up um, in order to be able to make this, you know, application successful. Yeah. So they did, they got their inventory back. They got their gas delivered. They started, really promoting the business and getting it out there, hired a couple more employees um, and they were able to renew the business, even though it had had a kind of a during COVID lapse in, in um, op, not really in operations, but in, I'd say good operations. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, important to maintain those operations mm -hmm. or else that e-visa is, is going to become void. So Thank you for joining us today on our discussion about e-visas, as well as last time. Hopefully, you gained a better understanding of the E2V investor visa for Canadians and what's entailed in that process. And this is one of the more complex visas. Uh, most people that go through this process do work with an attorney because it can be so so complicated. So we do these all the time uh, on a regular basis. And on a regular basis, I, we're talking about e-visas every day in our office, no fail. Um, and to individuals looking for e-visas. So it's something we're very familiar with and well-versed at, especially with the consulate in Toronto. Uh, that's where we file most of our uh, e-visas because we primarily work with Canadians. So if you're Canadian looking for that type of investment in the United States, we can definitely assist you. So next time when, we, when you join us, we're going to switch the conversation over to a different type of visa. We're going to start talking about L1 visas. Ooh, exciting. I don't think we've <laughs> covered those in depth yet. So we're going to go over what it is, what an L1 visa is and how can it be used. And this is another one often used by business professionals too. Yep. We, we oftentimes it's, it's a decision between do I do an E or do I do an yeah, L? So a that's a good dilemma to have if you're a business professional. So if that's where you're at and you're teetering between, Hey, will an L work? Will an E work? Well, our next uh, podcast will be perfect for you. So thank you for tuning in. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. Share this with your friends out there that you think could find this content helpful. Thank you for listening and have a great day.